You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms to those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, "Look, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat in the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that his Christ would suffer, and he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you in him. Listen to him, whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we love you and we worship you. And we're thankful that you provided so much for us um, in your son, in your body, in your people. Uh, Father, we thank you for providing your word. We ask that as we study it now, uh, you would help us to understand it. Um, you would help us to trust it and you would help us to obey it. Uh, we have nothing without you. And so we give this time to you and we ask for your help. In Christ, name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good afternoon. Welcome. Uh, my name is Kyle Stevens, and I have been a deacon here at Christ Church, I guess, since we started. I mean, I guess deacons weren't 
right off the bat. There was a first deacon class, um, and my wife and I were a part of that. We were appointed. Um, and I say it's really good to be in person. I feel like uh, over the last month, there's been really good reasons for us to be at home. We've had a, a baby with a fever or a runny nose, or we are out of town, but it is really sweet to be here to study God's Word with you. And uh, I know a lot of you are new, whether here in the pews or uh, at home watching. I just want to encourage you, if you can, um, to, to plug into us, get to know us. And one of the best ways you can do that is through gospel communities. Like I mentioned, Michelle and I have hosted uh, many of you in our homes over our home over the last uh, four years or so, and it's been so sweet uh, to understand the gospel, to glorify God, um, to uh, get into each other's lives. And so I know it's difficult, it's unprecedented, this time is strange, but don't, that, uh, don't let that allow you uh, to keep you from pressing into what's good and right and true and pressing in to God's people. And so, uh, I'm, like I said, my name's Kyle. I'm a deacon. Clint's right here. He's an elder. I think we might have a few more people here that can give you information on that. If you're at home, you can hop on our website and look up um, the GCs that meet throughout the week in different places and different times, we'd love to connect you um, to that. And so as many of you know, I've also uh, for the last year been uh, um, observing to become an elder here at Christ Church, and I'm truly humbled and sobered by the notion that I might be appointed to that role. Uh, since I'm up here and I have all of your attention, I'm going to selfishly ask you to pray for me. Um, would you please pray for me, uh, that the Spirit would give me wisdom and strength and humility and the ability to love you like Jesus loves you, and to elevate Jesus as a treasure of life to the glory of the Father. And so uh, thank you for doing that and praying for our elders often. So last week, Clint nominated me to have bad dreams. Um, I'm not sure if that was some form of hazing, uh, just because my held, uh, elder candidacy is coming to an end, or uh, just in case, though, I texted Patrick Gozier and asked him to pray for me because he's apparently doing really well in that stuff these days. And so I also asked him just in case if he has healed anybody recently so I can give him the glory for that, um, and actually God the glory for that in this passage. But uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, go and listen to Clint's sermon uh, from last week. You'll understand the joke, but even more than that, uh, I was really grateful for the way that Clint um, unpacked the passage last week. I was grateful to consider and think about how I have been living in an Acts 2 church very similarly. My needs have been met, and I have joyfully met the needs of others, and um, our money has gone to uh, each other, to this city around the world. Um, Our love and prayers have done the same. That was a great challenge and a great encouragement. Thank you, Clint. Um, And so though I did not have bad dreams leading up to today's passage, uh, the reality is it is a passage that's haunted me uh, for most of my life. This is a passage that the Lord has used in my life to bring both great pain and great healing. And I do believe in the sovereign uh, work of God. I think, I think he does all the big stuff and he does all the little stuff. Um, and so when Nathan asked me to preach, we kind of looked at the calendar. I was out of town last week, and so I, I said yes to this week. And I wasn't surprised that when I looked down at the passage, it was this passage, Acts chapter 3. I kind of chuckled. Um, but honestly, this is a, a, pri- a, a passage that almost ruined my faith. That song we just sang, I, I barely held it together. He will hold me fast. I am... I am standing here as a testimony to Christ's ability to hold his people fast. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose it. I'm going to hold it together. Um, Of course, right? God would orchestrate this so that I would have a chance to study this section again with new clarity and with deeper faith. 
I talked to Nathan and asked if it would be appropriate if I shared some personal stories um, this week as we unpack this amazing miracle together. Uh, so know my intention is to highlight God and his goodness, and so please bear with me while I, while I do that. So some of you know, uh, my, my dad died about 10 years ago of multiple sclerosis, and so he had that my whole life. I don't have a clear memory of him walking um, or being able to really use his body, um, but I do have a clear memory of this passage. <laughs> and so my dad was a pastor, and so my mom and my dad loved God's word, and so we grew up with these stories ever before us. And uh, so you could imagine my devastation when I walked into my dad's bedroom at the age of 12 after spending the whole day before memorizing verse 6 of our passage this evening, right? So I, I got it right. I had all the words just in place. I made sure I didn't have any silver or gold in my pocket so I wasn't lying and like did have something to offer him, right? And I said this, I said, I have no silver or gold, dad, to offer you. But what I do have to give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I remember those moments like they're yesterday. I walked in with all the confidence a 12-year-old could muster, spoke with a voice that I thought carried authority, and honestly, I was mad at my dad when he didn't obey. When he didn't rise and walk, I would lay my hands on his legs, ask if he could feel it. I would hit his legs, you know, that happened once, and, and just expected that the pain would somehow register in his failing body. I remembered our shared tears, um, mine of dwindling faith, and my dad's as he assured me that he was trying, but his legs just didn't work. Insisting, however, that he still trusted God and that if God chose to heal him, he would, and if he didn't, that's okay. That's okay because he has Christ. Those last few words, he trusted God, fell on dead ears uh, in my early years. So I was the only charismatic Southern Baptist in my church, okay? And so, like, we would leave the potluck, I would leave Awanas, I would leave RAs or the prayer meeting, and I would go straight to the healing ministry at my house with my dad, right? And so um, I did this a few times in my childhood, probably three or four, filled with confidence that God would heal him. I would leave those moments filled with doubt of the goodness of God, um, the validity of my faith, longing for an experience with God that I could not seem to conjure up. No matter how much I prayed, no matter how much I tried, no matter how much I read the Bible, doubt and fear crept into my life. Over these years, as the words of Jesus rung in my head like a bell of condemnation, this is what, this is what, I mean, I memorized these verses when I was young and they just stuck with me, but in the wrong way. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, whoever believes in me, I will also do the, uh, will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus himself said that I would be able to do greater things than him, and I couldn't even heal a crippled man. My heart oscillated, right, between hating God or even doubting if he was real to hating myself and wondering why he didn't choose me to be a Christian. I had, I had no power in my life to give evidence that I was a believer. I couldn't, I couldn't do these simple things. All of that because of the passage that we're going to study tonight. <laughs> and so uh, let's, let's get into it a little bit. I tell you this story uh, to start off, however, because I want to highlight a lesson that my hard heart had to learn. Um, and it's, it's, it's that you're reading God's word and you're in Christ and the result of reading God's word is leading to doubt and condemnation, then you're reading it wrong. You're hearing it wrong. 
You're understanding it wrong. This 12-year-old, you know, charismatic Southern Baptist had all of these verses bouncing around in his head and in his heart, but no ability to apply them correctly. So I want to encourage you that if, if that's your reality, um, ask for help. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about God's word. We have, we, your, your gospel community leader would love to talk to you about God's word and walk you through these passages because God's word is designed to make much of him to glorify him and God in his kindness has tied that reality to our joy. He intends that as we experience him, yeah, he might condemn the sin in your life, right? He might come at you cutting things out, but it's for your joy and the result should always be increased faith and increased joy in Christ. So if that's you, you're not alone, right? Come ask for help. We'd love to walk you through those things. Just like the Pharisees in this passage, I and you might be, was missing the point of the miracle, right? Choosing something other than the healing offered to you in the person Jesus Christ. See, they would rather have dead religion in the place of a risen Messiah. They would rather have easy circumstances than a fixed eternity. They would choose their healthy bodies, ignoring their crippled souls. So God's word was compiled to make much of him for his glory and for our good. So let's do that. Let's do that together. Let's make much of God as we study this passage. Okay, we're going to look at today's passage in three parts. The first is going to be healing received. The second is going to be healing explained. And the third is going to be healing proclaimed. Okay, and so first let's look at healing received. So Acts 2.43 last week states that many wonders and signs happened through the apostles in these days. This is the only one that is given account of in Jerusalem. Okay, so this is the only wonder or sign that Luke wrote down. Um, the account is similar uh, to the healing account in Jesus uh, that Jesus had in Luke chapter 5. So in his first book, Luke wrote this one down as well. But it's in a different order. So there, Jesus sees the faith of the man and his friends who are, who are bringing him and immediately forgives them of their sins. That's what he says. Your, your sins are forgiven. Okay, and so the Pharisees and others who were there were appalled at this and called... Christ a blasphemer, right? So Jesus, Jesus just looks at them and asks this peculiar, this peculiar question. He asks in Luke 5, 22, he says, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. The implication Jesus is making here is that it's easier to say someone's sins are forgiven than to, say, uh, than to heal someone from a physical illness, right? And so because of the forgiveness of sin happens internally, but the healing of a man or a woman, it happens externally. It demands immediate proof, right? You can just examine right then or there. And so in order to show the Pharisees that he could do the harder thing, that Jesus actually could forgive sins, which is the harder thing to do, Jesus heals the man right in front of him. The healing of the body was Jesus' authoritative way of declaring to the world that he was able and willing to heal the soul. He could reach into the heart of people and extract the poison that really was killing them, right? Namely, sin. The antidote is the, is the blood of Christ and the apparatus or the syringe that it's administered through is faith. The same process is happening here in this unsuspecting crippled man. So as Peter and John walk by him in verse 3, he gives his usual appeal for alms, right? He calls out. He's, he's, he's asking, and they, they see him. They see him being brought to the gate, and so, and so they're watching him, and his hope is dashed 
for a moment in verse 5, right? As he fixes his gaze on Peter, only to hear that he had no money. He had no silver, no gold. This man's livelihood was dependent on the generosity of Jewish worshipers, right? And so his hopes had been reduced in this world to receiving pennies from Jews that heading to the temple to pray, right? His hope was in pennies. This man's physical poverty represents his spiritual poverty and highlights the condition that, that every human that has ever lived is in. This world, diseased with sin, has curbed our appetites and has left us begging for pennies when we are created to commune with the creator of the universe. All of us, with our crippled ankles and our crippled feet, hold our hands out, right, to the passerby of this world, hoping in pennies to satisfy our hungry souls. Prosperity, penthouses, promotions, progeny, all pennies, all pennies compared to knowing Jesus. So imagine this man's surprise, right? When his desire for pennies is swallowed up in joy as his feet and ankles strengthen and he stands up for the first time in his entire life, walking and cleaning to Peter and John in awe of what God has done, right? It suddenly became clear. It suddenly became clear to him what he really needed. He wanted pennies, but he received healing. He wanted worldly security, but received heavenly security. His hope was rearranged as the disease, the disease of both body and soul were healed instantly, simultaneously. This man began to walk and then jump and then shout praises to God, much like David in that scene when the ark is being brought back, right, to Israel, and just, he's just ignoring his setting. This man is ignoring his setting and praising and singing and worshiping. It's an amazing miracle. My goal is not to explain away the miracle. So some of you might be thinking, like, he's just wanting to say, well, the miracle happened inside of him, not outside of him, right? That's not my goal. Like, this was miraculous. This was amazing. The, the language that's used in this passage is only used here. Like, it's, it's the, the healing of ankles and, and uh, leaping up is like the same words, uh, Jacob Covell might know this, of like popping your shoulder back into socket, right? So like things just popped back into socket for this man. So God healed this man. He has the power and authority to do this, and he still does today, I assume, right? I say I assume because I wanted to tell stories here. Like, this is the part where I tell all the stories of all the healings that I've heard uh, throughout my life and throughout the world. But as I began to recount those stories, I realized how far removed I was from them. It was like 10 or 12 people away from me that I had to kind of come uh, to get to me. And like as a kid, I remember hearing these stories in Africa and in India and in all these places of the world of God doing these amazing healings. And so my hopes would rise only to dash against my dad's crippled body, right? Like, like every time my hopes would be brought up as I heard these sermons, I would go home and try my best to heal my dad. And it would just crash and fall on dead ears, I guess, or is, is what I assumed. And so if I'm honest, I have to say that God healing people physically has not been my experience. That's not, that's not my reality in this life. And I, I assume the same is for many of you, maybe not all of you, and that's, that's great. Right? As a child, I went the charismatic route um, of faith healing. As my heart grew hard, I went the logical route 
right, of kind of explaining these miracles away, kind of like walking in a museum past a bunch of bold, like old ancient relics that I don't care about, right? Like these healings are just in the past, right? And so that's my experience. And what am I supposed to do with this passage? Like what am I as a follower of Jesus supposed to experience as I read about these miraculous works that are occurring we're supposed to do what Peter did, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> right? Revel in the power of God and glorify Jesus. Proclaim his salvation and his pending return. It's so clear here right, in this passage. But before I move on from this point, I want uh, to make a few points in terms of the explanation of the healing. I want to highlight a few misconceptions that can arise from this miracle and others like it in the New Testament. Things that I really didn't understand as a child. Um, even up through, up through college, I didn't understand. The first is that healing and miracles are directly tied to the amount of faith that you display or produce. Like a punch card at a sandwich shop, right? Like God is watching your life, ready to make good on his commitment when you have displayed enough faith in his heavenly deli, right? Click, 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 healing. This man was not asking for Jesus, right? He was not asking for, he was, he was asking for money. He was not displaying faith in God. He was displaying faith in people as they tossed them their change. He did not come to the temple to pray. He came to the temple actually to take advantage of those who were coming to the temple to pray. And in a moment, in a moment, his spiritual and physical DNA were rearranged. Right? The antidote and the syringe, the, the apparatus were thrust upon him and he responded to the work of Jesus, not the work of man, not the work of himself. The shepherd spoke, right? And the sheep who has crippled his entire life, he rose up and heard the shepherd and followed him. Another misconception that can arise from a passage like this is that God intends to heal every crippled person in the world. This was, this was largely my misconception. My impatience for the kingdom of God to be realized at the return of Jesus almost excluded me from the kingdom of God entirely. I almost walked away. The reality is that most Christians die in their afflictions. Multiple sclerosis, cancer, depression, childlessness, mental disabilities, autoimmune diseases, and so much more are their reality until their death. My dad died in his physical affliction, and to say that that was because God intended to heal him but couldn't because of his lack of faith is a tragedy. It's a tragedy to say that about our brothers and sisters who walk in faith up until the end. My dad's faith was secure to his last day when the disease in his body had stolen literally everything else from him besides my blessed mother who served him the entire time like Christ serves the church. Um, and that's another sermon for another day, but... He couldn't talk. He couldn't move. I mean, he, basically his body shut down to the point where he couldn't breathe anymore. That's what the multiple sclerosis had done to him. But his faith persevered until death. So similar to what Jesus asked in Luke 5, I now ask, what is easier to say? I have faith because Jesus healed me of a physical condition? Or I have faith even though he didn't? In Acts 3, healing this man by brought God the maximum amount of glory. 
and the crippled man the maximum amount of joy, so God healed him. That's what, that's what God's word says. God glorifies himself. He satisfies his people. God glorifies himself. He redeems our hearts and our situations, right? He's promised to make every difficult thing in our life work for our good. That's what it says. So in my dad's life, allowing him to rot away in a bed for 25 years brought God the maximum amount of glory. And my dad, the maximum amount of joy, so he didn't heal him. I have to believe that. The scriptures give us zero other path to follow that God was somehow punishing my dad, right? That this was because my grandpa sinned and so my dad was in affliction. No, God loved my dad, right? And so so it's important that we as believers understand these truths as we approach these texts. Jesus let me see, I, I lost my spot. I say this not because my dad, right, was a superstar, or because God made his suffering painless and easy. That definitely wasn't the case. I say this because suffering is a natural part of the Christian life. Jesus is the suffering servant. That's actually what he's presented as uh, to the Jews in this passage, right? Like he is being shown as the suffering servant that the Old Testament has talked about. Let's see, it, it says in verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Jesus had been raised up Right? So one, that's a process in the Old Testament of bringing about this Messiah. But two, he had to be raised up because we tore his body apart. We crucified him. Right? He suffered. Crippled, like, like he, he paid for what won't be allowed in, he, in, in heaven. Like sin is not allowed in heaven. Crippled bodies, depressed hearts, bruised and bloodied men and women will enter the kingdom of heaven. Through faith, freed from sin, receiving new bodies, purchased by the suffering of our Savior. Suffering in faith is a blessed testimony to the fact that God's steadfast love is better than life. It is not condemnation of an individual's ability to receive relief. Jesus himself didn't even receive. Like, Father, can this cup pass from me? Is there any other way? And God said, no. And Jesus said, glorify yourself. And he said, I will, and I'll glorify you. And that's happening here in our passage today. So suffering, uh, suffering brothers and sisters, take hope. Your suffering exists in the company of the God who saved you. He knows your pain and sorrow, and he offers you joy, right, to your crippled soul, through, though your body may be wasting away. So pray for healing. Pray for relief. Ask for the elders to come and pray for you and anoint you. That's great, right? But, but fix your eyes on Jesus who loves you and gave himself up for you. I don't share this to say that faith of the sick is somehow better than the faith of those who are well either. Like I'm saying this to say that the faith of the sick points to a better healing. When we follow Jesus in our affliction, we are declaring to the world that we have found the treasure of life. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the better thing. If you lose your faith in Jesus over not getting what you asked, from God, then you never had it in the first place. And I can tell you that from experience. With that, let's move on to our next point. Okay, so the first was healing uh, given. Next is healing explained, okay? And so it does not take long in verse 12 for Peter to recognize that the healing that occurred was going to draw a huge crowd. Okay, so as the multitudes piled around them, Peter did not prepare to heal the afflicted, right? He didn't say, okay, everybody get in line. Okay, we're, and from, from sickest first to the least sick in the back, 
and then I'm going to heal you. He didn't drop everything and go to the places that he definitely could have gone where hundreds, maybe thousands of people were sick all around Jerusalem, all around the temple. He didn't do that. No doubt there were more invalids around to heal. No doubt there were places he could go to heal others. But Peter knew exactly why God chose to heal this man. And he took no time to explain. He turned to the crowds and made much of Jesus. Let's read in 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by, your own, by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified this, his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So earlier, I asked that if healing has not been my experience in life, then what am I supposed to do with this passage? And I, I stated, I answered, saying that I'm supposed to do what Peter did. Okay, and so he glorified God, he, he magnified Jesus, but he does a few more things, so let's look at those. Like first, he immediately removes himself from the situation. Right? All of the glory, all of the praise, all of the eyes that are on him, he completely reflects and deflects, and he, he swiftly denies any participation in the miracle and explains why it occurred. This miracle occurred because the God of Israel wanted to glorify the name of Jesus, plain and simple. That's why it happened. This did not occur because of his power or his piety. He didn't muster up faith or store up enough good works. His punch card wasn't full. He did not give enough money or memorize, memorize enough scripture to unlock the secret ability to heal. The book of Acts indicates that these wonders happened through the apostles, like electricity through copper, right? Once electricity is introduced, all copper can do is conduct it. There's no electricity in copper unless it is put there, and there's no ability in men to heal unless God puts it there. Even Jesus stated often that he only did what he saw his father doing, and he only, he only said what he heard his father saying. This passage is not describing an individual gift of healing. It's describing God's healing as a gift to an individual. And this is the second thing that Peter does. He glorifies the God of Israel and the Messiah that he sent. His intimacy with Jesus just flows out of him to others in such a way that after he's used in such an amazing way to heal a man, the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he just states the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob glorified Jesus by making this man well. God chose to make much of the name of Jesus in this moment by extending the healing as a gift, a taste, a down payment of the kingdom to come. The kingdom that Israel had been waiting for since their thirsty throats in the desert. The healing itself was not worthy of the focus. The God who provided it was. Like a giant arrow pointing to the heavens, Peter preaches in such a way that the miracle of the healing would not be misunderstood. God was not offering healing that day. He was offering himself. And anyone who would receive him would have the right to be called children of God. See, Jesus refused in Luke chapter 4 to allow his ministry to be characterized by miracles. When he was tempted in the desert to perform miracles, like to make bread, he refused. 
And instead, he chose to rely on God and his word for sustenance. When tempted to throw himself off the temple, requiring angels to miraculously save him, he refused, vowing not to test God and expect miracles in return. When offered authority over the kingdom of the world, he said no, he refused, because his kingdom was not of this world. It's not a kingdom of cheap tricks and easy living. It's a kingdom that exists for the glory of God, and Jesus was willing to suffer so that truth could be made plain and clear for the world to see on the cross displayed. A life of avoiding and running from suffering is a life of avoiding and running from the kingdom of God. A false gospel that equates God's favor with the most satisfied life now ignores the fact that Jesus died to build a kingdom that we have not fully yet experienced. He calls us to come and die. That's his call. Die to this world. Die to our hopes and dreams. Die to our desired outcomes and trivial pursuits. But the call is not only to die. It's also a call to live. Live to God. Live to joy and peace that surpasses all human understanding. Live to the kingdom that will come. And one day the king will return in all his splendor. And he will heal all of us. All of us. Rise and walk in the new life Christ has purchased you, brother, sister. In this passage, Peter calls Jesus the holy and righteous one, the author of life, the expected Messiah, and he uses this momentary, temporary restoration of this man's body to highlight a lasting, eternal restoration of this man's soul as what God has to offer anyone who would repent and believe in Christ. And that brings us to our third and final point. The healing proclaimed. So let's, let's read in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your fathers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So now Peter, in an appeal that's going to land him in jail. So that's next week, right? And so, so there's some reality there as well. Peter was willing to preach a sermon that was going to land him in jail because of the joy of knowing Jesus, because of the joy of inviting others into the kingdom of God. He turns up the heat, right, here and directs the attention of his hearers away from the present miracle to the past prophets, right, and the promised future return of Jesus. So he lifts their eyes from the circumstances and he points to the past. He says, now look, look at what has been said. And then he points to the future. Look, look at what you know is going to happen. He lifts their heads and minds from current circumstances and he points them to the scriptures. He draws a line, a clear line in the sand and states that access into the kingdom of heaven comes only through the suffering servant Jesus. Jesus came, he suffered, 
He was raised, and he offers healing to anyone who would receive him. And so Isaiah, we read Isaiah 40, which is also all through this passage. Isaiah 35 is also a chapter that uses a lot of language. Peter borrowed a lot of language. The Spirit borrowed a lot of language. Um, And he says, it, it speaks of a day when the lame would leap, the blind would see, the enemy would be no more, the lion would vanish, and the ransomed of the Lord would return to Zion with singing. But there's a catch. Right? There's a catch in that reality, and that catch is verse 8. It says, a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. It says, the path is narrow, and it's restricted from those who do not walk along the way. Jesus is the way. And Peter warns the crowd that if they do not renounce their ignorance, repent of their sins, and allow Jesus to blot those sins out, they will be cut off and destroyed from the people of God. And that's that's our reality. That might be your reality. It might not be that you're struggling in faith to trust God. It might be you're struggling to put your faith in God. This passage invite. I mean, this passage was recorded. It's a gospel presentation. Peter is turning to the Jews and is saying, "This is your chance to receive the Messiah, and it's for you this evening." Like I said, I believe in a sovereign God. If you're sitting in this service, if you're hearing this online, and you've never placed your faith firmly in the way, the person Christ, now is the time to do it because we don't know when He's going to return. It's fixed, right? It's a ticking reality. God knows we don't know. Right? And so if, if you hear this and you feel that in your soul and in your mind that that is right and that is true and I need that Savior, now is the time to repent. Allow him to blot out your sins and receive the refreshing, just the refreshing reality of the Spirit of God in you. The times of refreshing that Israel had been waiting for were beginning, Peter proclaims, that these times are limited. Jesus is in heaven now, but he won't be forever, right? The times for restoring all things is upon us. Here's the thing. The fact that we here in North America, thousands of years later, thousands of miles away, are worshiping the God of Israel is an insane reality. Like, that makes no sense. It does now. I guess COVID came pretty quick, right? But I mean, like, just like, it just moved across the earth as God's sovereign will and sovereign working as Jesus is fixed in heaven for a time that the Gentiles might be brought in. And that's actually what the second half of the book of Acts is going to be talking about, this reality. So Peter reminds the Jews that the promised prophet, priest, suffering servant, and king has come to Israel first, but now for a time he will go to the nations. All the families of the earth are to be blessed, praise God, by this king, and then the end will come. There's a fixed amount of time that Jesus is in heaven, and that time exists, that every word that God has ever uttered through the prophets can be fulfilled, and then he will return. What a glorious and terrible thought. God is faithful and he's true. Everything he has ever said will come true. Every promise he has ever made actually now finds its yes for you in the person Christ, is what Corinthians says. You don't have to wait for him to return. Peter calls to the Pharisees and calls to us to the, today. And do you know what's amazing? At this point, in writing my sermon, I was so wrapped up in worship and praise for what God had done in my life and keeping me and holding me fast for what God has done in your, your lives for keeping you and holding you fast, that I had completely forgotten about the miracle. Like, I had forgotten that this started with the man being raised. Peter did an excellent job 
He did an excellent job using this miracle and, and changing and, and pointing to God and drawing our hearts and minds into this eternal reality that God has orchestrated from the garden and he will finish in the end in Revelation when he, Christ himself, returns. What a wonderful, wonderful reality. You don't have to wait for healing to receive the refreshing of verse 20 that God has promised you in Christ. Look ahead to what he has secured for you and find rest for your soul today. My childhood attempts to heal my dad were devastating, to say the least. (laughs) They sent me into a decade or more of doubt and confusion, of anger, of looking for satisfaction in the world, hoping something could numb the pain I felt and help me make sense of my faith. Every promised antidote for the pain I felt only led to more pain. It just compounded it. I was convinced for a time that if God would have healed my dad, my life would have been better. If he would just do the one thing, right? I would finally know he was real and good and worthy of praise. The reality is the devastation did not come from the fact that God chose not to heal my dad. The devastation came because I had completely and utterly missed Jesus. I had missed him altogether. My heart and mind was fixated on what God could do for me, not what God had done for me. Listen to what Peter said in verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The blessing offered was not physical healing. It wasn't healing for my dad, but a turning from his wickedness, his wicked existence to a new life offered him in Jesus. I had always thought and been told by others that it was not fair that my dad's ministry and life were taken from him. That's just over and over in my life from when I was young up until his funeral. It's not fair. Only in my later years did I realize that I did not want a fair God in this regard. If God were fair, my dad would be in hell right now and I would be soon to follow. There would be no fruitful ministry or life to live without the kindness of God. You don't want a God to be fair to you. You want a God to be gracious. You want him to be generous. And he has been gracious and generous to me and so many of you. The king of heaven crucified that we might live. I was asking for pennies when God was offering the riches of the universe. I missed him. And that is what Israel had done just now. They missed him. They denied the miracles Jesus had performed. They denied the resurrection. They denied the miracle that had just occurred in front of them. I was deceived into thinking a miracle in my life would bring about the change my sinful heart needed, desired. We're all convinced in some way, if God would just do this one thing, think about it. What is it? What's the one thing? What do you need from him that would just push you over into secured faith, into joy, into peace, into happiness. What is that one thing that you're holding back? That's a lie. That's a lie. Don't believe it. It's not a lie because God doesn't want to help you. It's a lie because he's already done the one thing and the enemy's just trying to distract you, right? Your own sinful heart is trying to distract you. Jesus has done it. God has done it. He has sent his son to die in your place that you might have full access to him and his kingdom for the rest of eternity. And if that's not enough to satisfy your soul, then a negative diagnosis or a spouse to grow old with, 
or a child or finally being done with that one sin or job promotion or a healed dad will not be enough to satisfy your soul either. Don't miss Jesus. Peter pleaded with the crowd not to miss Jesus. He preached this miracle would not distract from the God who was really doing, wait, he preached that this miracle would not distract from what God was really doing, which was glorifying the name of Jesus and offering him as the solution for your weary soul. Don't miss it. The Jews, some of them didn't. In the next chapter, we're going to hear of another incoming of brothers and sisters into the kingdom. We're also going to hear of another hardening. Is that you? Don't miss Christ. He's offered to you everything. Don't settle. Don't settle for pennies. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we're so thankful that in our sinful hearts, in our pining after the things of this world, in our asking for pleasure and joy and healing, you have overcome us and you have given us yourself. I thank you that in your wisdom and in your kindness, you sent your son who is humble and meek. God, you have called us out of darkness into light. And I pray that just like Peter was preaching, just like the Jews that were here, that did hear, I pray that we as a congregation hearing this this evening would not miss Jesus. God, we're so thankful to have a king who is so kind to pour out himself unto death that we might live. You're so generous. We love you. We thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.